0: Good to see everyone out tonight, all that's here. We are going to continue to study the book of Daniel tonight, and we will be in Daniel chapter 6. Remember when you think about Daniel, remember superior king, superior kingdom. Superior king, superior kingdom. We've already studied Daniel chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. In those, we studied about King Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdoms. And then we studied chapter 7 and 8. So we would have it in chronological order. Then we backed up and uh, went to chapter 5, which actually uh, should be placed after 8. Tonight we'll study chapter 6. Lord willing, I believe... Next Sunday night, we'll study chapter 11. And so you can see it's not in chronological order. But it's good to put it in order. It makes a lot more sense when you study it that way. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom a hundred and twenty princes which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first the princes might give account unto them and the king should have no damage then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm that's the first three verses so as we've studied a little history, we've already learned that Cyrus was actually the head or the main king over the Medo-Persian kingdom. Cyrus was a Persian, but he put Darius the Mede over the city of Babylon. And so Darius was king, but he really was king serving under Cyrus. Cyrus. Now, this Darius, and there's several mentioned in the book of Daniel, and I know of at least three I can think of right offhand. One is the Darius that we studied about in Daniel chapter 5, verse 31. Now that Darius is not the one that we're talking about here. Because you remember, as we discussed him last week, we noticed that once he took over Babylon, it was like less than a month later after he led the attack on the city of Babylon that he was killed himself and so he didn't live very long after leading the attack on Babylon when we get to chapter 9 in verse 1 we will see that there is another Darius and that's a different one also Uh, chapter 9 verse 1 in the first year of Darius the son of Azuraris or Xerxes, same king, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. But that's going to be a different Darius uh, when we get there. This one, if you remember last week, we talked about Darius Ugburu and Darius Guberu. That's the only way I know how to really tell them apart. And so the one that we're studying about that was so fond of Daniel was Darius now Darius, when he was put over Babylon, he he did a smart thing. Uh, he took a hundred and twenty princes and put them over the kingdom, which that kingdom already had many divisions. And so, uh, if you go back to if you go to Esther chapter one verse one, uh, you remember that she was married to Azariah. And uh, in that time, the Bible says, and it came to pass in the days of Asherah, this Asherah was reigned, uh, which reigned over India, even under Ethiopia, over 107 and 20 uh, provinces. So uh, it, they were divided up in, in provinces. And so what this king does is he puts 120 princes over these divisions. And then the king put three presidents. Or you could say, the New King James says, governors. He put three presidents over the 120 princes. And Daniel was first, or preferred, over the other two presidents and over the 120 that served under them. Because, the Bible says in chapter 5 of Daniel, verse 12, uh, he had that uh, excellent spirit here in 6 it mentions that but you remember back in chapter 5 verse 12 this was brought up as well for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and interpretation of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation and so Daniel already had some kind of a reputation uh, because of his God and his God allowing him to have this kind of knowledge and that's how he kept being elevated in these different kingdoms at different times. And so here he really finds favor with this Darius to be placed over the other two presidents. So you can see what a high position he had and remember, this is, this is a, a man that was, was a slave. He was taken out of uh, Jerusalem, and he was made a eunuch and, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, and God just took him who you, and who would be probably one of the least likely people you would think that any king of these foreign countries would elevate to such high positions. But with God on his side, and God using him for, for God's purpose, really, as we'll even see tonight, God put his men in the right places at the right time to be able to teach people about him, about God, and to help them have an understanding of the true and living God. So Daniel was such a God-fearing man that he handled the business affairs of the king with great integrity. When I think of that, I think of Brother Truman Patterson how that he would cross every T and dot every I. When we had business meetings, he could stand in there and quote to us, the men, uh, every penny that was put in the collection plate and where every penny went uh, since the last time we had a meeting. I mean, he was just, he was so on top of everything. He was very early. Uh, He loved to do everything, pay bills and all as quickly as he could, and you could trust him with anything. He was just of that, that character. Uh, Much like, just like Daniel here. Daniel was one that even this king of a foreign nation could put his business affairs and actually put him over everyone else in his kingdom and know that Daniel would do what was right. So that says a lot about Daniel. And all of us as Christians ought to be just like Daniel, to be that kind of people that we can be trusted. Now when you do the research, you'll find that Daniel is probably about 84 years old. At this time about 84 okay verse 4 of Daniel 6 then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom and they could find no occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful neither was there any error or fault found in him then said these men we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So the two presidents and the princes were envious of Daniel. Sounds just like people today, right? That's nothing new. They were envious of Daniel because of his high position and because he was favored by of the king and he was placed even over them Daniel was of such outstanding character that they could not find one single law of the land that Daniel was not keeping there was not a single law that he was violating uh, of the land and so in that sense he was much like Christ not that he was sinlessly perfect I'm not saying that But he was a man who kept the laws of the land. He was a man in whom they could find no fault in him. They looked, they tried. You know, a lot of times when people are envious of you, whether it be on the job or at school or wherever it is, they will try to look you over like they say, go over you with a fine tooth comb, or they'll look at you through a magnifying glass just trying to find any little something. Well, they did that to Daniel, and they couldn't find one single thing. Not one single thing at all. I think about Christ. In Luke chapter 23 verse 4 the Bible says, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. No fault. All the religious leaders of that day, they thought they could find fault. And then when they couldn't find fault, they had people to be false witnesses. But old Pilate said as he examined him over and over again, he said, I find no fault fault in this man and rightfully so in 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 22 Peter wrote and said talking about Christ who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth no fault whatsoever Hebrews four fifteen, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin in Mark chapter 5 verse 9 and 10 the Bible says but Pilate answered them saying will you then that I release unto you the king of the Jews for he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy well that's why they did what they did to Jesus it was because of envy envy is a horrible thing it's a, it's a wicked thing uh, envy causes all sorts of troubles and so the people the chief priests the 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 highest religious leaders of that day envied Jesus Christ they didn't like the fact that he preached and people listened and paid attention and followed and believed in him and so they did everything they could to turn people away from Jesus while he was here on earth because they were so envious of him and so these people were these rulers in the days of Daniel were envious of him the rulers in the days of Christ were envious of him and you know I also thought about another one that came to mind and you remember Joseph he was favored by his father and his own brothers turned against him and you remember they at one time were thinking about killing him and then they sold him into slavery why notice when Stephen was preaching that great Sermon uh, on the Old Testament in uh, Acts chapter 7. verse 9 he says, And the patriarchs, talking about the brothers of Joseph, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt because God was with him. But God was with him. And so why did they do what they did? Envy. I'm telling you, envy is a rotten thing. It's a terrible thing. And there are people that probably hate you tonight, Not because of anything you've ever done wrong, but because of what you've done right. They become envious. When I did construction work and when I worked at a plant, you could really see that taking place. They couldn't stand it if you got a promotion. They couldn't stand it if you got some kind of um, credit for doing a job well done. They were so envious and so jealous. And they would do anything they could to try to pull you down and knock you down and And try to get ahead of you that's that's just the way our world thinks these men knew that Daniel would obey the laws of the land unless there was a conflict between them and the law of Daniel's God oh they tried to find fault but they came to the conclusion we'll find no fault in this man and so we learn from Daniel a very great lesson that we find also in the New Testament that applies to us today In Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, Paul wrote and said, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Every time I study about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and others that were in captivity, And uh, we're under a lot of these many wicked and ruthless kings, but yet I see how they behave themselves. I'm sure I would have probably have been bitter, and I would have looked at them as enemies, and probably tried to do something to to get even. But that's not what we learn from Daniel and others that we read about. They kept the laws of the land, even when they're in a foreign country. They kept the laws of that land. They honored the king. Not so much that the king deserved it, but they honored the position of the king. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, Peter said, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. Think about it this way. We need to make sure that we honor those that are in high positions not necessarily because they're great people or because they deserve it but when we behave ourselves like christians should when we follow in the steps of jesus then god can use us and he will open doors for us no matter where we are in the situations that we're in that we may be able to let a little light shine and that's what was going on here if you go into those situations and you're, you're always bad-mouthing those that are in high positions and you're speaking evil of them all the time and you're being ugly and, and uh, have an attitude, there's nothing wrong with speaking the truth. But when you have a bad attitude, people see that. And you know what? That puts a negative light on the church, on God's people. And so we need to be careful what we say around others. We need to be careful how we behave ourselves. It's okay to speak up when something goes against what God teaches. But notice, we shouldn't go around causing trouble with it. You see what what was being taught here, Old and New Testament? In 1 Peter 2, verse 17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It didn't say if the king deserves it, he's in a high-ranking position. You respect that position. You may not agree with him, and you probably shouldn't agree on many occasions, but... As you have opportunity, teach the king. Isn't that what Daniel does? Isn't that what Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego do? They end up teaching the king. They end up teaching the religious leaders during their time and where they were. And so, here's Daniel. They know that he's going to do right when it comes to the king and his law. So they said, the only way we're going to be able to get this guy is it's going to have to do so have something to do with him, him and his relationship with his God. And so in verse 6 of Daniel 6, then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him King Darius, live forever. All the princes, all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days save of thee O king he shall be cast into the lion's den into the den of lions now O king establish the decree and sign the writing that it may not be changed that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which altereth not Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. The two presidents and the princes approached the king with a very familiar salutation. They said, King Darius, live forever. The king received that salutation as, a, as, a, as genuine respect for him and his position. But actually it was offered with selfish motives. Daniel's jealous associates plotted against him. they pretended to praise and honor King Darius with a royal statute and a decree but it was really an entrapment They actually were appealing to the king's pride and his and his old vanity, and he fell for it, which is also very common. People love to be exalted. They love to be lifted up on high. They love to be made to feel like they're above others and and something really special and, and that they should basically be looked up to by all. And so it was a trap, and he fell for the trap not knowing it. The decree was that no one could ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days other than, the way I read it, asking King Darius. And anyone who did would be cast into the lion's den. That makes it very serious, doesn't it? When there's a penalty like that, that's the death penalty. That's what it is. Evidently, they used lions to to, uh, perform the death penalty. And they would just throw people over into this den and let the lions have their way with them. This decree put the king really in a position of a god. You see king, we, we want you to realize how special you are to us. We want to really elevate you to your rightful position. And we want to make this so everybody in the land knows. They can't talk to any God or any man and ask of anything of them except for you, O king. But don't you know, that blew his head up. And he thought, oh, I'm really something. Makes me think of over in Acts 12 where O Herod had made the oration, he made the speech, and they said, oh, this is not the voice of a man, but this is the voice of a God. And he failed to give God the praise. You remember what happened to him? He was killed on the spot, eaten of worms. Well, this king here, he's fallen into the same trap. You remember what Satan said to Adam and Eve? That, you know, they, as he talked to Eve, really, and said, you're talking about what God had commanded, they may eat of the fruit of all the trees uh, in the garden except for the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden they should not eat of it, for in the day they did they would surely die. You remember what oh, Satan said, you shall not surely die you shall be as gods your eyes will be open well that was very appealing to them we're going to be as gods well that's the way they were treating this man they wanted him to feel like he was a god but really the whole thing was they were wanting him to sign what they had written so that they could trap Daniel and get him out of the way and Daniel had never done them wrong he wasn't a man that went about doing evil. I'm sure he was for them and not against them. I'm sure he would have helped them in any way they needed help. But that envy got in the way. E.M. Zare says, talking about these, the document, the decree, the royal statue, he said the writing pertained to the body of the document which stipulated what the people were prohibited from doing. And the decree was the paragraph that was to place in it the class of enactment that could never be repealed. And he said, Darius, of course, signed all." So, what does the phrase, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, what does that really mean? You see, that was a big thing to them, to the Medes and the Persians. And you remember when we talked about Galatians 4.4, 4, and when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. We talked about the fullness of time and what each of the four kingdoms that we studied about in Daniel chapter 2 contributed to the fullness of time. And you remember the Babylonians, uh, through that period of time, they, their contribution really was the synagogues. And so that continued even later. And so we find even in the New Testament, Christians, uh, uh, people actually meeting in the synagogues. And that's where Paul and others would go to the synagogue to find the religious people. And then they would teach them about Christ and the gospel and convert them to Christ and Christianity. But when it came to the Medo Persian Empire, you remember, they were about the law. Uh, It was a big thing with them that their law did not alter, it did not change at all and so the Persians believed that whenever their king signed a decree it became so sacred that even the king himself could not change it. if the king had just authorized the decree when he realized that he had been used to dispose of Daniel he could have repealed or changed it but once he signed it it was a done deal. That's why when the king realized what had happened, he couldn't change it because he had signed it. And so that's what they wanted. They didn't want him to just okay it. They wanted his signature. They wanted his stamp. They wanted his uh, him to to sign it. And so these wicked, envious, ruthless men knew that three times a day, Daniel prayed to God before his open window Daniel was so committed and steadfast in his devotion to his God that these presidents knew he would not be deterred and they were right do your neighbors know where you'll be on Sunday morning and Sunday night do your neighbors know where you'll be this coming Wednesday night Do your neighbors know that you're going to do what God has told you to do no matter what? You know, I wouldn't say this to everybody out there. But if I was a thief and I wanted to rob someone, I know exactly when I can take everything you've got in your house out. Because I know where you'll be on Sunday. I know where you'll be on Wednesday night. And if we have a gospel meeting, I know where you'll be each night of that gospel meeting. We're very easy targets. But you know what? We're going to do what's right. And if someone wants to trap us, they could do the same thing that these men did to Daniel. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, He went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree? that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days save of thee O king shall be cast into the den of lions the king answered and said the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which altereth not can't be changed then answered they and said before the king that Daniel which is of the children of, the, of captivity of Judah Regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. This is evil, isn't it? Isn't it this, this so wrong? Notice the phrase, as he did aforetime. You see, what that tells us is this. Daniel did not go home and pray to God after hearing of the signing of the decree to show disrespect for the king or for his associates. You know, sometimes we may do something just because somebody tells us we can't do it. You ever done that? Just to show them you can do it? Well, that's not, that wasn't Daniel's attitude. You see, what this says is he'd already been doing that before there was ever a decree that was signed. It was nothing new or nothing different for Daniel. That was a habit of his. That was a way of life with him. Three times a day he went to that window and he would kneel down and he would pray to his God. And so he went to his house and he worshipped his God just as he was doing before this plot was put in place. Daniel's enemies were not at all surprised when they spied on him and found him on his knees petitioning the great I am. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly how to get Daniel. Daniel had great respect for the king, as we see in all of this, the book of Daniel, for all the kings. He showed great respect for, for them, for their offices, and and he tried to help them in every way and and be what he ought to be, what God would have him to be. But God's will he always put first. Well, I remember over in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, talking about Peter and the other apostles when they were told not to go out and preach in the name of Jesus and, and do the things that they were doing for the cause of Christ. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. May we all be like Daniel in that way. May we put God first. And any time a law uh, come, is passed or, or, or tried to be uh, pushed on us where we have to decide between God's law and man's law, may we always choose God's law. I mean, we should already have made that decision in our minds, right? When we obey the gospel, it's God first. And anything that goes against God's law, we're not for it. And if they make us choose between obeying man or obeying God, if we've got to do one or the other, we're going to choose God. You see what Daniel did? Didn't Meshach, Chadrach, and Abednego do the same thing? Don't we have a whole host of people in, that we read about in Scripture who when it came down to either obeying the king, obeying man, obeying God, they chose to obey God. We don't know what's in our future, do we? We don't know what's tomorrow, next week, next year. We just don't know. We don't know what man's going to tell us that we can and cannot do. But one thing we should have already determined in our minds is if we have to choose between man's will and God's will, we're going to be like Daniel. We're going to do God's will. No matter what the consequences are. Daniel did God's will knowing that he was going to be cast in the lion's den. Don't you know that when Daniel heard the decree had been signed, he knew exactly what was going on? Don't you know he could have decided, well, I'm just going to close my window today, and I'm not going to pray in the direction of Jerusalem. I'm going to go over here in another corner of my house where nobody can see me, and I'm going to pray over there. He wouldn't compromise, would he? He did the same thing that he had always been doing. He prayed just like he'd prayed before. You see, it was not uncommon for Jews in captivity, especially when in a foreign land, to face Jerusalem and pray in the direction of the temple of God. And that's what he was doing. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible says, If thy people go out to battle against their enemy, whithersoever thou shalt send them, and shall pray unto the Lord, watch this, toward the city which thou hast chosen, that's Jerusalem, toward the house that I have built for thy name. Now that's Solomon, and he's talking about Jerusalem, and he's talking about the house or the temple of God that he built in Jerusalem. Notice this, a little bit further down in verse 48 of 1 Kings 8, he says, And so return unto thee with all their heart, and with all their soul, in the land of their enemies, which led them away captive, and prayed unto thee toward their land, the promised land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city, more specifically, which thou hast chosen would be Jerusalem, and the house which I have built for thy name would be the temple. And then in Psalm 5, Verse 7, the psalmist says, But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward the holy temple. And so that's what these people of God did. When they bowed, and when they kneeled, and when they prayed, they prayed, and they faced the direction of the temple of God, the city of God. Once these men had gathered together and found Daniel praying, you know what they did. They couldn't wait to run to the king. Don't you just love tattletales? Now, I did teach my kids to tattle because sometimes I want them to tattle on each other, so that was okay. But we had a line that we drew. If there was something I need to know about, I need to know about it. I think I was tattled on quite a few times when I was growing up. My mom always blamed it on that little birdie, but. I think that little birdie was my little sister but they couldn't wait to get Daniel in trouble they did it wasn't about that they were trying to help Daniel they wouldn't they wouldn't tell it on Daniel for his good for his sake no no it wasn't like that at all no they, they wanted they wanted to get rid of Daniel and so their plot was working out their scheme their plan They've already trapped the king. They've got the paper signed. They've got everything like they want it. Now they know what Daniel's going to do, so they all gather up. So they got a lot of witnesses. They probably knew the exact time of the day when Daniel would kneel before that window in prayer. Well, that's pretty easy, wasn't it? And so they gathered up, and then they went to the king, and they, and they told him or reminded him of the decree that he had signed. And so, look, they're still being real crafty. They're being sneaky. And so they lay it out there, and they remind him of it, and then they wait for him to acknowledge it. And when he says, yeah, that's right, then they let him know what Daniel was doing. This makes me also think of what happened to Daniel's companions. You remember Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? When they heard those musical instruments play, the king had uh, made a decree that everyone was to bow down before that big image that he uh, had made. And you remember Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego wouldn't bow. Wouldn't bow. Wouldn't, they wouldn't bend a knee, they wouldn't bow down. They were not going to serve those false gods. They were not going to do that because it violated what God had commanded of them. You know what? When that happened, the Bible says in Daniel 3, verse 8, Wherefore, at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Oh, they couldn't wait to go before the king and say, King Nebuchadnezzar, you've got some men out here that are not bowing down as you've commanded. And you remember the penalty was to be cast into that fiery furnace. Oh, they couldn't wait to go tell on Meshach, Chadrach, and Abednego. They weren't trying to do them good. They were trying to do them harm. They were also jealous and envious of these three men of God. There are people like that in the world today. There's plenty of them. Verse 14, Daniel 6. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Now, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. Well, immediately on hearing the news about Daniel, the king knew that he had been fooled and he had been used to destroy Daniel. He realized that because of his human pride, he had played right into the hands of these wicked men. He was so disappointed in himself. Have you ever been trapped like that? Have you ever been tricked? You ever you ever disappointed yourself? No doubt the king had a great relationship with Daniel. You can see that as you study this chapter. He wanted badly to keep Daniel out of the lion's den, so much so that he labored over it all night long. The Word of God does not tell us exactly what he did or how he labored, what that all consisted of, but it appears that one thing he was doing, he must have been stalling on having Daniel called for and put in the lion's den because it seemed to have irritated these presidents and so they go before the king and they kind of they kind of nudge him a little bit so the men that had had trapped the king they wanted to remind him of that decree just in case he was trying to figure out some way to get out of it they're like oh king you know it can't be changed let's get on with it let's get rid of this man they they wanted to see it it come to an end. They wanted to see Daniel destroyed. They wanted him out of the way. And the king's kind of stalling a little bit, trying to figure out some way to keep this from happening because he had such great respect for Daniel. And he knew that Daniel was not in the wrong as far as doing what he should have been doing to please his God. Verse 16, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thy service continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lord's, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So the king, being nudged by his presidents and, and these princes, and in keeping with the terms of the law that altereth not, had Daniel cast into the lion's den. His great concern for Daniel proves to me that this king had some good qualities, better than many that we've studied about. He was of good character to some degree, and he tried to give Daniel some encouragement. I mean, most of the kings we've studied about wouldn't encourage anyone. I mean... They would just have thrown him in the den and said, Good riddance, that went home, went to bed, and you know, forgot all about it, but not this king. He also paid Daniel a great compliment based on what he had had observed in him. He talked about how that what Daniel had done and how he had served his God continually. Hopefully, it may be said of us as it was said of Daniel, that we serve god continually god is truly the deliverer and he's the king supreme in daniel chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 we remember who delivered meshach shadrach and abednego out of that fiery furnace no man could do that you remember the the strong men that that cast them into the furnace what happened to them they were consumed by the fire No man could go in and take those three men out of that furnace. But God could deliver them. And so in Daniel 3.16, the Bible says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. They knew who to call upon. They knew who their deliverer was. When it looked as though they could not be delivered, they knew God could do it. With God, all things are possible. And so we know that he did. In verse 28 of Daniel 3, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's words and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. God delivered those three Hebrew men. God is truly the Deliverer. This den that Daniel was cast into was really a pit that had been dug out uh, in the ground. After Daniel had been cast into it, a stone was was uh, placed over the opening and sealed with the king's signet, most likely a signet ring uh, that would leave a mark with whatever they sealed it with. And also, he used the signet of his lords. This ring would make a mark much like that of a notary. notary. Uh, Today, you know, when they notarize something, they got that little thing, they clamp on it and it leaves a, a seal, a mark. Well, a lot of times the kings had a ring that would do that, and there may have been other ways as well. But with that seal on there, uh, this was done to make sure, really, that there was no outside interference. You remember the same thing was done when Jesus' body was placed in the borrowed tomb. In Matthew 27, verse 66, the Bible says, So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. This was so that no one could could move the stone without it being noticed. If someone had went and tried to get the body of Jesus out of that borrowed tomb, of course there was guards there, but if there were no guards, then they could see that the stone had been moved because it had been sealed and with the signet. And the same thing was true here with Daniel with that stone being placed over the mouth of that lion's den and then sealed like it was sealed. So you can see there's no interference. Then Daniel, verse eighteen of Daniel six, then Daniel went to his palace. I mean, then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting, neither with instruments of music brought neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning, and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable uh, voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? So after the king had sealed the stone, he went to his palace and he fasted all night. He could not fall asleep, neither was he comforted with music, Most likely, his guilt was eating him up. Darius knew that although he had been used, he was still partly the blame for an innocent, loyal servant of his being cast into that den of lions. This king, unlike many of the others, did have a heart, and because of it, he was miserable all night long. Then at the rising of the sun, Darius rushed to the den to see if Daniel was still alive. Can you imagine what kind of night that was like for him? Not knowing what was going on in that den. If Daniel was still alive or if he'd been devoured by the lions. The Bible says that the king cried with a lamentable, lamentable voice. In other words, a grieved voice. Like he'd been grieving all night. Or a tone of anguish. It was a voice that expressed how this event had afflicted him, both in mind and in body. The king approached the den with despair and hope. Darius must have had some knowledge of how God had protected and blessed Daniel in the past for him to have had any hope at all of Daniel surviving the night with those hungry and vicious lions. He knew that no man could fight off all those wild beasts, or, nor could anyone escape out of that den to save their own selves, nor could anyone have stolen Daniel or helped Daniel to escape because of the sealed stone. The king knew that his only hope of seeing Daniel alive was if Daniel's God had spared his life. That's the only hope. You know, God is our only hope as well. Without God, we have no hope whatsoever. We are lost as lost can be and have no way to earn our way into heaven. You see, we learned many great lessons from Daniel. One is, God is the God of hope. Even this king that was not a, a child of God knew that much. And it gave him hope that Daniel would be alive because of his God. Notice that Darius, he acknowledged Daniel's God. And he acknowledged that he was a living God, unlike those other gods that we studied about, or those heathen nations. In Psalm 115, verse 4 through 7, you remember the psalmist wrote about the other gods, and he described them, and he said, Their gods are silver and gold, the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes they have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses they have, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not, neither speak they through their throat. And so all these kings that we studied about, they had these kind of gods. And you remember their magicians, their wise men, as they called upon their false gods, they never got an answer because they were not living gods. So the king had enough sense to know that Daniel's god was a living god, not like his gods. He was a living god. Verse 21 of Daniel 6. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths, That they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him. And commanded that they should... Take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. And no manner of hurt was found upon him. Because he believed in his God. Daniel answered the king respectfully. When he said, O king, live forever. Just as Darius had hoped God had delivered Daniel from those lions. He had received no harm, just like the others that had trusted in God. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. And he answered and said, "Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And so they also received no hurt. Daniel had maintained his innocence, even though... He was being persecuted. He was much like Job. When Job was being afflicted by Satan, and he thought it was God, but yet Job said in Job 14, uh, 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, talking about God, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. Job was innocent, and so was Daniel. Daniel. Daniel made sure that Darius knew that he had not wronged him in any way. And the king, the Bible says, was exceeding glad. He wasn't just happy, he was exceeding glad when he heard Daniel's voice. Daniel did not suffer hurt because, and here it is stressed, because he believed in God. In Hebrews 11, verse 33, the chapter on faith, as we read about those in the Old Testament, those Old Testament worthies. In Hebrews 11:33, it says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I wonder if that uh, the Holy Spirit had Daniel in mind when he made that statement. So through all of this, the Medes and the Persians were learning about the true God. Verse 24, and the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they could, uh, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. The king made sure that the evil men that had used him in their scheme to destroy Daniel, received according to that which they had sown. That's exactly what the Bible teaches in Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. There can be no doubt that the deliverance of Daniel from the lions was of divine origin, not human. No one can say that the lions were not hungry or fierce because when these men and their families were cast into the same den of lions, those lions had mastery of them. That means overpowered them and broke their bones in pieces before they ever hit the bottom of the den. You go to my house and you take a chicken leg and you throw it up in the air around my dogs and I promise you, it will not hit the ground. They will actually leap off the ground to get the chicken leg. Well, that's what these lions did. As these people were being cast into that den, the lions were so hungry and so vicious that they were leaping from the ground catching these people in air and breaking their bones before they ever hit the bottom of the den. So for these people that want to try to disprove Daniel, and say, oh, well, they had been fed before Daniel got put in there, so they were they were not hungry, and that's why they didn't eat Daniel. Well, what are they going to do with this? So God, knowing that people would say silly things like that, I'm sure, made sure that he made it very clear that they, these animals were vicious. They were brute beasts, and they would destroy anybody that went in there unless God stopped it which he did when he sent his angel to close their mouths. And so the same fate that these men had planned for Daniel became their own. And not only their fate, but also the fate of their wives and children. All of that happened because of their envy of Daniel. You see how bad envy is? You see what it costs these people to be envious of a good man, a godly man? How many times has that happened? I I can think of another time that comes to mind real quick. You remember old Haman? He wanted to exterminate the Jews. He didn't like old Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't treat him like a god and bow down before him. Mordecai did God's will. Do you remember he made that gallows for Mordecai? He was going to hang him and destroy all the Jews. Well, the Bible says in Esther chapter 7, verse 10, So they hang Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. What he wanted to be the fate of Mordecai and the Jews happened to be his own fate. You see, you don't fight against God. And you don't threaten God's people. And you don't mistreat God's people. And you don't try to destroy God's people because God will destroy people that do that. God has the power. Verse 25, Daniel 6. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The text does not really say if Darius was completely converted to Daniel's God or not but he was definitely a believer. There's no doubt about that. And in contrast to the decree that we've previously discussed that they tricked him into making, the king made another decree that everyone in his kingdom would tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. What a contrast. What a difference. You see what Daniel did by not compromising? You see what Daniel did by going to that window as he had always done and bowing down upon his knees and praying to God and not running somewhere and hiding and trying to worship without anybody seeing him? You see the difference that he made? This king sends out a decree to all of his people and says, I want you to all fear and tremble, the God of Daniel. You see, Daniel had to do his part so God could use him to get the message across to that nation of people. The Midian king honored and he praised the God of heaven and acknowledged him as the superior king with the superior kingdom. Darius had learned the same truth as old King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 2, you remember the dream that he had what did he learn from that dream and the interpretation of it Daniel 2 in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever superior king superior kingdom in Daniel chapter 3 verse 29 when God had spared and saved Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, the Bible says in Daniel three twenty-nine. therefore I make a decree, here's King Nebuchadnezzar, that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, against, uh, amidst against the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sword. What if Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had just decided on that day, we'll just bow down. Would that have made a difference? Sure it would have. Three young men refused to violate God's law. In front of all those people, with all that pressure, they did what was right. And notice what the king says in the end. In Daniel chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream the bible says uh, about the the tree and then the tree being cut and the stump